Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Well, hello, this is Alora Chestikoff, and welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. It is May 6th, 2020. Today, Lawrence and I were joined by an old friend and colleague of mine, John Amon. John joined us and had some questions that we spent the episode discussing. Uh, he is getting ready to begin training for a co- to be a coach, and he's really looking at doing executive coaching. Uh, John is a seasoned executive who has been working with executives for a very, very long time. And so we spent the episode answering questions that came up for him and having a conversation. So if you have ever thought about becoming a coach and are curious and or looking at that particular niche, join us and hear hear what we discussed and see if there's anything else you'd like to add. By the way, congratulations! You got your ACC certification. Yes, thank fantastic. You. Um, so you know, I'm kind of new to this, and 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 Lawrence, I see you're also a coach. So mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of just exploring it and getting into it. And I've been in conversations with a couple people, and looking for this. Um, I've got a planned course that I'm going to be looking at and taking down in Dallas. Um, it's an intense nine days or eight days of, uh, you know, the first part of the 60 hours of mm-hmm. training. So I'm really, and I talked to Laura about things, so I'm really kind of uh, just beginning to listen and, and observe people. And, and uh, I guess one thing, Lawrence and Laura, I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on NLP and how that applies to some of your coaching approaches and so on. Well, I can I can start. So, um, a, I'm very excited for you that you're uh, you're digging into this, John. This is cool, and I think, um, you know, for those who don't know, John and I have worked together in a previous life, um, and so I think it's it's great to that this is something that you're yeah. you're exploring now. So this is very cool, um, specifically when it comes to NLP. So here's the thing, um, coaching is I would say sort of like could probably say it's almost like health and diet, right? There is a bazillion different ways you can tackle it. Um, And there are a lot of different tools. I think the thing that makes coaching the most kind of fun and interesting for me is that it's, it's really kind of the combination that works for you to pull that together and then make sure that, that you're finding the right clients that really resonate with that, that kind of focus. So, you know, I think it's, it's something that you see a lot in terms of, I think, you know, there are a lot of coaches who might get certified in several different things or in several different areas. And in, in that combination becomes their specialty. So, you know, I like NLP uh, specifically because I get, I nerd out on, you know, language and the way the brain works and stuff like that. And that sits right in the heart of of all of that. But I think more broadly, it's really around, I think the things that make sense to you and help you make sense of things. Um, You know, Lawrence and I were just talking this week about you know, the fact that we wanted to discuss things like assessments, because I think assessments are really, part- <laughs> you sort of teed this up for us, John, didn't even realize that this was kind of awesome. Um, but, you know, I think assessments are a great example, right? Because you can do, there's so many different ones, right? You have the, the com- most common ones that we all know, like, you know, Myers-Briggs or Enneagram are the ones that surface kind of all the time in very pop culture kind of ways. And then you get into the ones that maybe are very corporate, like DISC. Uh, you get into ones that are maybe very, um, again, very specialized, like Hogan or things that are sort of try to transcend that, like Gallup strengths. Like there's, there's so many different forms you can take. I think the thing that, that um, is the most important is it has to be something that you can actually really sink your teeth into. I think it needs to be something that you find valuable, but I think it also has to be something that, that sort of resonates enough for you that you can explain it to people and help people understand 
why it's helpful to them or where it actually has, has applicability and value um, and how it helps you relate to, to them in terms of say what you see from them. Yeah. So I think from, from that perspective, it's, it's more of the, what's the right tool in the toolbox right. that fits in your hand really well and works with the clients that you're working with. Yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 go ahead, Lawrence. I'm sorry. No, no, that was uh, a Lawrence, you know, teed it right on up with it, it has to feel right for you. Um, and so there's any number of programs out there and, and probably the one um, you're choosing is the best one for you right now. Right. Or, and, and, and again, as Laura alluded to, you get Gallup or you mm-hmm. tag on these other tools to sharpen what it is you're looking to do. Um, yeah. And the one thing that I'll, I, I will fight anybody on is, you know, niche coaching um, and, and boxing you into an industry or anything like that as a coach. And one of the things I loved about, you know, all the programs we, me and Laura have in common are, you know, by the end of coaching, once you understand what coaching is supposed to be, you should be able to sit in front of, any, of, in front of anybody and coach, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then what you're really, because you're coaching the person, not their position in life or their duty title or whatever it is that they are, but it's the person and you as coach are showing up for that person. Um, And so as you're looking at it in NLP is, is also one of those things. I think almost every single coach in a, in a coaching session has had some topic come up related to an NLP tenant or of some sort, but um, it's people like Alora and and yourself who are students of kind of that neural sides of things that really make people tick. Mine is values. And so I'm an organizational leadership guy, organizational development. And so I'm very, that's where I I cut my teeth on. Mm -hmm. What are your values? Are you leading with them? Are you living through them? Um, And then to me, that's how I find those gaps and those blind spots um, from that, that kind of modality. And so that has pushed me in directions of more coaching and more leadership development style uh, certificates and different things like that. So um, yeah, it's all ultimately comes back to your why. Um, and then again, what feels true to you? So Lawrence, in organizational be, uh, management, organizational behavior, and as your kind of focus, mm-hmm. do, you, do you apply the NLP principles as you look at situations where you're working with individuals, or is that how you use it? Or you said it's not, you don't get focused on one niche, but rather mm-hmm. a broad sense of what works, as Laura said. Yeah, yeah. So the way I use kind of all of my background, because I'm a former Army officer. And so a lot of what I do is, you know, we build them up, we tear them down and build them back up. Um, And a a lot of that is coming from a place of what do you believe in? And so a very values heavy um, and cultural heavy um, kind of foundational uh, setting that I come from. And so I use it from that. So we, we talk about performance, right? Where are your performance gaps? And what are you seeing as a disconnect from the people? Um, and it oftentimes comes back to they weren't connected to the end game and the and the why and who on the front end didn't communicate that very well. And so really finding those gaps in how people effectively communicate and understanding that everybody has a definition of what just came out the leader's mouth. And, and I think it's the language, right? So part of 100%. the effective communication yep. is, is figuring out what that common language is. Ooh. And that's, I think, ties to the NLP part in particular, exactly. John. I think you get to, you know, I think one of the biggest, one of the, and this is honestly this is something that you'll, you'll encounter in the coaching training, is there's a, there's a huge part of the coaching process that includes listening to the language that your mm-hmm. client is using, um, because that will usually give you a really, really set of valuable clues in terms of how they're thinking, what mm-hmm. their limiting beliefs are. Language is probably yeah. one of the best cues to help uncover what your client's limiting beliefs are, especially if they're trying to accomplish something, but they seem to keep either getting in their own way or convinced yeah. that there are other things in their way. Um, usually really understanding, listen, really carefully listening, I think is, yeah. is it, which to be fair is one of the things that I think is, is great for about you going into coaching is that you're an extremely good listener. And so for you to be able to kind of hear that and be able to say, okay, you know what, this is, 
they're talking about about these things, but they're using this language. They're using this language that's very disempowering, or they're using this mm-hmm. language that's very, you know, there. It's so funny. So you know, all of us do it to some extent, but you know, there are some concepts or words I think especially that we adopt from like you know previous generations, like our grandmother. Like every once in a while, the word like cockamamie will come out of my mouth, and people look at me like. I've heard that a lot. <laughs> I know you have. I know you have. But the thing is, too, is that is that there's a context around that, right? Because you know, especially those of you who know me know that that's not really the most like Alora sounding word ever. Yeah. But it has, so there's a story behind it. And once you actually, and, and because it's such a sort of discombobulating word to hear come out of my mouth, it doesn't, it doesn't take it that often before somebody says, oh my God, Alora, I can't believe you use that word. That's so funny. And so stuff like that can be really great clues into how I'm thinking or what, you know, what I'm doing or where that, where that context came from. So what I like about NLP is that the way your brain works and the way words come out of your mouth are very, very tightly coupled. So if you can listen, truly listen, which most of us don't do, um, you know, and this is my, one of my biggest struggles is like legitimately being present and listening. It really is a very close tie back to how they're thinking. What are they seeing as the obstacle? Are they, you know, how many people have you met where you listen to the way they talk about themselves and you think, oh my God, I hear your overbearing father coming out of your mouth. This, this isn't you. This is somebody yeah. else. This is lessons that you've been taught, but they usually show up in terms of our words. Yeah. So Laura, it's just, I, I want to dig into, it, it might sound, sound obvious, but mm-hmm. use the word language. Oh yeah. So listening to words. So mm-hmm. just so break that down for me. So language meaning the person in front of you describing the problem, the situation, the challenge in front of them, you're listening to their cues, their little physical words that mm-hmm. they're talking. And yeah. you're trying to dissect and decipher, okay, what else is, is this is happening with this person that's either inhibiting him or yeah. they just need a little bit of nudging to kind of move forward. Is that what yeah. you mean by language? Oh, absolutely. That and not only that. So a lot of times people will use, so I'd say not only, not only that, but it'll help you a lot of times hear how, where they see obstacles, right? So a lot of times, again, we come, this comes back to limiting beliefs. When, when people use passive language about all the shoulds and coulds and like, oh, well, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. Getting, asking them, okay, can you explain that to me? Tell me, tell me why is that a should? Why, you know, Mm -hmm. why should I take the promotion for a job at a company that I don't like? Why should I do this? Why, like, should is probably one of the most useful things to listen for because should is external judgment telling you what you are supposed to be doing. And usually, to be honest, if you're using the word should, it means you've acquiesced in a lot of cases, but you haven't totally bought in, right? Because if, if it's a should, you probably aren't using the word should anymore. If it's a should that you've internalized, you're probably not using the word should anymore. The should is what my boss thinks or what my spouse Mm. thinks or what my parents think or what uh, should almost always comes from an external source that we're trying to force our way into. Nine times out of 10, I found that if you start like getting under the hood of that should, oh man, you find a lot of stuff there. It's, yeah. you know, I've never been able to live up to what my father expected of me. It's, I was supposed to inherit the, I was supposed to take over the family business. And, you know, my dad never forgave me that I didn't, yeah. you know, do like there you get, you get into, you get into some really big, important stuff. Yeah. And, and the thing to me, especially about should as, as all of the words that we could dive into is many people are not even conscious of the extent to which they use it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so and for thinking, me, yeah. that one is once, and once they become aware of it, yeah. it, it, it what's, and this is where I love, I love coaching because once somebody has yeah. that moment of, oh my God, you're right. I don't. Yeah. Why am I doing that? Yeah. 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 And it even comes out in, in a lower, you, you threw the word out there and the subtleties of passive versus of assertive or aggressive communication. In the way that they are active, yeah, active, right? In in but the way that they describe things, right? Or the the way that they describe themselves in a situation or their reaction to a situation is another thing that you listen out for. And and one of the things that I first encountered transitioning from the military into this new world on in civilian sector 
were passive aggressive people and how I experienced them and how I dealt with them as Major Henderson versus just Lawrence now. And, and what happened was I got feedback about being too aggressive. And so what ended up happening for me, un, unbeknownst to me, I began to take a back seat. And so I, I began to use a very passive language that didn't even seem right. And it took one of the passive aggressive people to call me out. And it was, and it was the craziest thing, but had they not, and I didn't have a coach, didn't at the time, I didn't have one. But when I got in coaching, it was those ups and downs and those ebbs and flows of the things I was saying and what was coming out of me that was even either driving my energy or detracting. And, and right. so as, as you think about language and you think about the motivations of, and I think about self-management from an emotional intelligence perspective and how well people are able to check in with the stories that Allure was talking with the stories that they're feeding themselves and that they're telling to themselves that can actually drive their decision-making. And so as you dig in, um, particularly in the language and, and neurology of, of coaching and that modality, you can really find out people leaving you breadcrumbs in just the way that they describe things. You, Lawrence, you use the definition of passive aggressive aggressive. Is there a matrix that you try to group people in to be able to determine, okay, how do I approach this based on their language or based on their behavior or, you know, that assessment that you guys talked about yeah. at the beginning? How do you assess then where to yeah. begin? Yeah. So I do it something as simple as, um, hey, have you ever taken Myers-Briggs and just throw out, you know, just generally, all right, what's your four letters? Yeah. Right. And And just start down the conversation because... Um, coaching is one of the craziest things that people want you to ask questions, but they're leery of you asking questions, particularly around personality style. Like, oh, you're trying to box me in too. Right, right. And, and, uh, and Myers-Briggs, you have to be careful with those because uh, if you talk to a Myers-Briggs traditionalist, you can't change. Well, I'm a walking example that my style changed and it was based on my position. Um, I was strong ESTJ. Now I'm a ENFJ. And uh, I, Laura laughs because, you know, I was a super high strung army officer guy. Now I want hugs and high fives. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm very intuitive now uh, to, to just sit um, and I and just long, just laying it out there just as a conversation starter. Right. And I think it's all around how quickly you can garner trust and confidence that like, oh, man, you're ESTJ. Like, man, I'm an INTJ and, and just start the conversation from there and was like, all right, what do you think about your personality style? Like, where do you see that showing up? And like Laura, and start to piece together how they are, if they're aware of how they show up. Um, and then that begins to, to paint its own picture um, of how they show up in the room, how present they are to how they're being perceived and, and how they perceive themselves. Well, and, and, and you'll see in their reaction to John, to the passive aggressive point, right? Mm -hmm. So somebody who, who, and, and so I think, you know, I, I love how, how structured you like to be in terms of kind of a rubric for, okay, how do, how do, so. I was going to come up. <laughs> well, no, and I think this is a fair point, right? Because um, for starters, especially since I imagine your client base, just knowing you and knowing where you're at, it's probably going to be very executive focused. Yeah. So here's, here's what I would say about about that both from a, a coaching discipline perspective, but also from you and the likelihood of that customer base. I would say um, for starters, people are, people are fluid. And if there's one thing that coaching is really, really rooted in, it's the idea that we're all very multifaceted and, and trying to stick anybody into too tight of a box is is not is not conducive to really helping them get in and sort out their issues. So when it comes to people who are passive aggressive, what I find like any other like any kind of combative behavior style, um, most people are not always that right. They they fall into that that might become their their confrontational style when they're feeling threatened or if they're feeling you know any kind of of duress or things like that. That doesn't mean they're always that way. Like that might be that's their default. Um, yeah. uh, conflict resolution or conflict, you know, mode. Um, but it's not, it's not always it, right? There will there'll be other circumstances where they behave in other ways. So, so trying to figure out kind of a rubric model where you can place someone doesn't necessarily make sense because most people aren't always that way. In fact, a lot of them, they're not even, 
you know, most of the time that way. It's usually a specific type of pressure or circumstance that will bring out that behavior, usually conflict or, or some kind of high pressure situation where they're feeling a lack of control. Now, having said that, I will also say that if your focus is going to be executives, which mm-hmm. I assume it will be, um, then in, in that market niche, I would say there's going to be a lot of, of advantage to you after you go through your coaching certification to pick one or two other assessment modes to, to do, to, to study and to get certified on disc obviously is one that comes up in corporate environments a lot. You're going to have to kind of feel out the kind of corporate clients that you are the kind of executives that you're working with. Cause the truth is they like rubrics too, right? They like, they like structured, disciplined, right. you know, they like a chart and a graph and they want to know where everybody fits. Methodology, a pathway. Exactly. And the truth is you can develop um, your own personal methodology, which would be your branding exercise more than anything else of how you work with clients. We have, in fact, Lawrence and I have a good friend, Paul, we can actually introduce you to, he works with executive clients as well. He's got a pretty consistent way that he approaches them. Um, and he's working, but he's working with a specific kind who are tackling a specific issue. And so he's got a, a sort of a process that he walks them through. Right because that's what that fits. Now, one, people who work more in either, you know, VPs who are trying to break their glass, get through their glass ceiling, or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can focus on that executive coaching market and different ones will have, uh, will find value in additional certification or training or assessments or different tools, depending on what that market cares about, right? So like, again, for instance, if you're going to go into, you know, healthcare manufacturing, you know, big, big corporate environment stuff, something like DISC or Hogan is probably going to be very well received because those are modes that people really understand. Um, I, since I like to work with entrepreneurs, I like Gallup better because it's very portable. It's very light. Everybody can afford it. You can kind of, you know, study on your own. You don't need a corporate, you don't need a big corporate account for, you know, a big expensive mm-hmm. test and things like that. You know, there, so, so depending on how you're trying to approach your market, there might be other values, but I would say that for you in the back of your head, keep in mind, again, the rubric's nice, right? but it has to be, um, it has to be kind of a tool to get them past it actually it, it's it's think of it think of it as the uh, the aperitif because <laughs> yeah. you you want to you want to make sure that you're speaking it comes back to speaking a language that's common to them and they like that but it's also then about getting them past the idea that that's the whole enchilada right right so laura you mentioned and if you wouldn't mind sharing like mm-hmm. uh, assessment tools you mentioned hogan and you mentioned a couple others disc yeah disc, yeah so uh, DISC is very corporate. Um, I, we, they had it uh, when I was at JetBlue. We did DISC. I've seen several other big corporations. Um, Hogan is another one that I, is increasingly popular in different uh, corporate environments. So the thing about those that is, um, I think, is harder for an independent coach is A, their certification is expensive. Um, and the... Um, A lot of times, so I find that, that, and this might be less true of Hogan because I'm not as familiar with it. I do find it more true of DISC is that it's so kind of focused on, on work related behaviors that I feel like it sometimes can be very two dimensional. Mm-hmm. So again, what I like better about Myers-Briggs or even Enneagram, which I have a little bit of an issue with, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, and definitely Gallup is that the things you take out of it, I find are universally applicable 360 degrees of your life, right? I'm an ENTJ at home. I'm an ENTJ at work. I'm an ENTJ when I lose my cookies because my brand new puppy just shredded like, you know, a whole entire box of paper towel all over the floor when I wasn't looking. Like I am 100% ENTJ. Um, You know, on the strength side, it's kind of with Gallup, it's the same thing. So, So for me, that's very useful because, you know, as... Well, frankly, both of you know, I've spent a lot of time trying to like reintegrate my personal life and my, and my professional side after spending many, many years just focusing on work and neglecting my personal life. So for me, having solutions that are more holistic to help me understand, yeah, I'm kind of showing up the same way everywhere. <laughs> That's the way that goes. It's very, very useful. Now, if you're, again, if you're going to be focusing on big corporate clients, a lot of times um, you can ask them what their HR, a lot of times their HR teams will have tools. They'll have stuff already in the organization. Um, and just for your own like polling to kind of gauge 
where your market is kind of falling for the first few months, I might ask that, you know, what tools do your, does your a company use? Um, and if it turns out that, you know, consistently you're seeing like disc come up, then it might be worth going in and, and doing that certification and getting some training so that you can understand it. You can go over the results they get back from them. Because here's the thing that, that is good about piggybacking off the corporate stuff. A lot of times if they get an assessment, let's say they do disc at work, they get it. I can guarantee you they did not get into the level of detail at it with it, with anyone there that's going to be meaningful to them. Um, if they didn't like their results, they might be pissed off and kind of hostile and, and just that's so wrong. It's such crap and get like a full head of steam about it. In which case there's probably something there they need to go, go yeah, dig into. There, there lies an issue right there, right? Exactly. Exactly. Anybody who gets that worked up about an assessment probably has something they need to go dig into. Or the other side of it is they just focus on one thing, you know, the thing that they like the best or the thing that felt the best to them or the most validating and not focusing on the other things. So, so I would say there's definite value if you see a consistent pattern emerge. If not, then it's back to what what allow what tools make it possible for you to get that kind of insight and connection and and um, trust level with your clients so that yeah. you can actually work through whatever breakthroughs they're trying to tackle themselves yeah well uh, <clears throat> i've got a lot more questions laura which i can yeah, well, the time with and whatever, but I don't want to do that. I know that you guys probably have an agenda. Oh no, no, you you just this you this became it. This is it. This is our agenda. <laughs> so this is awesome. This means you just got to be the podcast episode too, exactly. John. <laughs> well, you know, since I, since you're going to leave it open, I, mm -hmm. I'm just curious more, Lawrence, from you or mm -hmm. Laura, from an opinion perspective, experience perspective. When we when we as I begin to read through this stuff, particularly NLP and Love you, by the way, love your recommendations on particular books or readings that might be, you know, very focused because I'm, I'm sorting through all these trying to, and they have commonalities and I'm wondering if they're really that different or if they pretty much stick to the NLP kind of definitions, uh, supp suppositions and so on. But um, modeling, when you look at, you know, people or behavior that we want to model as success, right? Uh, and, you know, if I, as you said, if I go into corporate and I, yeah, as I mentioned to you, Challenger Gray and Christmas has, is one that I've been talking with and they have big corporate accounts, they have Macy's, they have IBM and, and so on and yada, yada, yada. Um, and they look for modeling of success, which I might say, here's somebody within our organization who we think holds those traits. Um, you may agree or may not agree with that, whether or not that person has that. But if we look at people that we hold out there, Jeff Bezos, the Stephen Jobs, and things like that, are those modeling that, that you would say, yeah, let's try to model after that? Or when people say, here's my idea of a great success and therefore help me model to that. I mean, what's, what's your thought on that? I think for, for modeling purposes, it's, it's almost kind of mirror to Alora's learning the company's language of what they've already done and how they define success and what they look at as the premier model of success and a person to uh, these are traits these are things that we want to see in our you know high potentials our next wave of leaders in our next next wave of executives and really when you start talking about modeling the the why is important right what about that particular model makes that the go-to. That's the Mount Olympus. The, what is that thing about it? And then for you, like like Alora was alluding to, then how do you fit in that, right? Because the last thing you want to be as a coach is come in and feel like a fraud and feel like you're acting and you're pressing right. to be something exactly. that's not naturally you. And so I think when you talk about why do people buy you, why are you the coach that they, they're constantly hiring, it's because you yourself have a brand, you have your own experiences, you have your own, you have your tribe of, of connections. And I think that becomes extremely important as past performance language as, hey, if we hire, when, when we hire John, this is what comes with John. This is his background, this is his expertise, this is his past performance. And then 
this is why he's important for us now because this is where we're trying to go. Um, and that way you can make it be authentic and, may, and have it to where you're not a huge disruption unless you assess that as disruption is necessary, right? And then that's also a part of the personality and modeling like, hey, you don't want drones, you want people who are ready and willing to be assertive in their the way they communicate at, right. at the executive level. And these are the models that we've seen to be successful in these different arenas. Um, and again, whatever, and I always say, what, whatever feels good to you. And, and again, those observations, once, you, once they define what right looks like for them, then you can begin to assess and it goes back to language. Okay, why, why is that a thing for them? And I know Laura has something on this too. <laughs> well, so what I was going to say is, I think, you know, Lawrence is right that if somebody holds up Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs as a model and yeah. says, this is what we want future leaders to look like, why? And first of all, what is it about them? Because first of all, we can start with the fact that, you know, interpersonally, both of them are dicks. So yeah, like, I gotta say, that's is that really what you want in your organization? Can you be more specific? What exactly. is it? Do you want, I mean, you know, Steve Jobs wore black turtlenecks every day. Are you saying you want, you know, an executive team who runs around in black turtlenecks every day? So you have to get under that, mm -hmm. right? If what they're really saying is, you know, in Bezos, we see somebody who's got long-term strategic vision. He's okay with a short-term, you know, upside down investment because he's going for the long game. And we know that, you know, Amazon retail is going to be upside down for the next five years, but AWS is going to carry everything. And that's going to buy us all this extra capital to do all of these other things own our supply chain until next thing, you know, we own the entire universe and people never saw it coming. Yeah. Like that is, I mean, he's playing chess in a world where other people are playing checkers. So if that is what they're looking for, then great. But you got to get them to say that that's what exactly. they want. Cause just holding up, holding up an icon as a personality right. is not helpful. It's right. what is it about that person, right? Yeah. You know, again, you go to Jeff Bezos, right? Mm -hmm. Or go, go, go to Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was notoriously difficult to work with. He was interpersonally impossible. He was, you know, if you got on his bad side, you kind of never got off of it. There were so many things about him yeah. that just to hold him up as an icon is yeah. utterly unhelpful. The other thing about that that I think is super, super, super dangerous is that then that helps establish cult of the personality, which sure. means that people who, who look like him or sound like him or have, you know, they're channeling his persona from the great mm -hmm. beyond, like all of a sudden they become super successful within the context of this organization. And it doesn't mean they're actually what the organization needs exactly. or what the leadership team needs to be projecting. Yeah. But, yeah. but if you just stick to it's th so the modeling, you think of, think of the modeling almost like a marketing persona. It's yeah. fine to start, but you, you got to get under it. What's, yeah. what is it about that? That's actually going to be useful to you. And yeah. then I would also say once they start defining it, challenge some of their definitions too, mm. because, because, Again, I think I have such a beef against the whole CEO is rock star, pop culture, social media crap. Yeah. It makes me crazy yeah. because it reduces a really complicated, it, it, it just turns, it, it turns business into reality TV. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Hence our president. Yeah. Okay, exactly. Exactly. And so, and, and that, and that doesn't have enough dimension to help you actually understand sure. what is truly useful leadership you know what are the truly useful leadership qualities that yeah. we want to make sure our management team is exhibiting exuding and demonstrating on a daily basis mm -hmm. um and and it's it's too easy to say oh we want you know we want an office full of of uh um you know rob you know B bill gates yeah. well guess what Nobody wants an office full of Bill Gates. Bill Gates doesn't want an office full of Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah. So you have to get to the definition and then you have to challenge the definition and then come up with a definition that's actually meaningful. And the truth is, once you do that, you'll also usually uncover whether or not their corporate values are anywhere near Boom. what they like to say they are. I'm glad you came back around to that, Laura, because John, I'll tell you, what ends up happening at that executive level, they end up developing their own culture Right. And, and that you as coach have to sift through because the people that, that are under them are experiencing a different reality. 
Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're, you're coaching them through this different model of what they're actually projecting on a daily basis. And you as coach, like, man, I'm getting two sides of the coin every single time I'm meeting with them and a different person shows up. And, and Laura alluded to that earlier, that who's showing up in each of my sessions? And that's why as coaching, like, all right, it, that first five minutes is important around what person showed up today, right? And like you said, did the crazy Steve Job person show up? Or did the, you know, super tapped into their emotions, uh, you know, Simon Sinek person show up today, right? And so you got to be careful. So you mentioned, and I, I guess as you're coaching through it, Lawrence, you just mm-hmm. kind of identified something triggered mm-hmm. in my head is, so you're coaching to a, you know, to the potential. Let's just say we're coaching to achieve someone's leadership potential, get him out of his way or her way mm-hmm. and let her or him kind of blossom in a new environment of innovation that you've been tasked to do. Yet there's a culture, it's a cultural bias that, that may not allow that to surface. So yeah. where do you see that conflict? So you're coaching to this mm-hmm. you know, a cultural window and barrier here that you know, you're in conflict saying yeah. what's the coach to achievement of innovation and personal yeah. uh, growth, yet you're putting yeah. all these women going to do this or you can't do that or da 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 or yeah. this person is our ideal super senior vice president and yeah. all of a sudden it's like, or am I modeling to that? This yeah. person's got to be confused. You're coaching to potential and they're yeah. modeling to, the corporate culture is modeling to an asshole on the seventh floor, right? For sure. Yeah, and, and that goes to um, who's who's paying the bill, right? And when you're having the interview of the sponsor, and then when you're having the interview with the actual client, right? Yeah. Because you're going to find where the great divide is. And yeah. so your your coaching client, because they because they're already at that level, you're you've probably experienced people hedging in conversation. Right. It, it's like the, the, the Dr. Fauci's of the world. When they get up to the front, they peek over their shoulder to see if the president's glaring at them and making sure that they don't say anything crazy. That when they get behind closed doors, they're going to get reamed about. And right. so people will begin to do that in, in their coaching session. Right. And so there will be that natural conflict where you're asking them their personal values. Then you're if they're in conflict with the corporate values and then, oh, by the way, they're in conflict with the CEO's values. Right. And so you'll learn that through language in your initial interviews. And it all comes down to the the sponsor and the person you're coaching. What are you willing to do to move forward the right way? Right. And, and once once they sign up for something, then you as coach, you can. All right. I'm hold you. I'm hold you accountable to this. Right. You showed up to do work. And that's what I'm requesting. And I'm, I'm saying I need from you every single time. And as sponsor, this is what I need from you, right? You asked me to come in here. I'm not, I'm not creating a clone and a drone. I'm creating the, the person who's going to shift you in a way that you said is important to you. And so you as coach begin to have those assertive communications uh, in, in every interaction. Um, and I think that's important. What are they willing to do to move forward? Well, and I think if I'm going to add on that yeah. real quickly. So I think, you know, when you have a case, John, where the sponsor and the client are in agreement, they're all moving for the same goal, great, right. no problem. That's good. You can make good progress. The place where you run into a problem is where the sponsor says, hey, this person's amazing potential. I think they're great. They're a complete asshole to all their peers, though. I cannot get support to promote him until he figures out how to build better relationships right. or whatever, something like that. It's usually going to be a soft skill thing like that that's the problem. And once you start working with the client, the real issue that will surface that's going to be the hardest is when they start really revealing they don't, they don't want the job or they can't stand their boss or they think the toxic culture is crap or they're miserable at home and that's whatever it is. The real conflict will arise when their goal and the sponsor's goal are not the same. And this is where an, an ICF is very, very clear on where, where your loyalty as the coach has to lie in terms of, confidentiality and everything else it's with the client not the sponsor sponsor can pay but the client you get 100 the, 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 the person you're coaching yes okay yes. So not, the, so, not the paying not the paying body right so when yes when when you've got two different parties involved so say it's the ceo who's footing the bill and you're you're coaching right. one of his vps right you get on the call with and when you're when you now for starters 
that can sometimes, especially if there is a fundamental conflict between those two, it can, it can be very difficult for you to build the kind of trust that you need to get that VP to kind of ease into and trust your relationship because he is going to feel like he doesn't want to, he wants to be careful about what he says to you in case oh, yeah. you're going to go rat him out. Right. right so right. You, the first thing is you have to remind him he's the client, total confidentiality in your conversations. You're not, you're not a tattletale. You're not going to go running back to his boss. Your bot, his boss at most can ask, can tell you what measurements of success he expects to see so that you can discuss those with your client and work on a plan to get there. But that's kind of, that's kind of it. You, you are not, you do not give status reports or details or anything else. At most, you can collect feedback from his boss. Are you seeing improvements? Are you seeing a change in behavior? Are you seeing any of the things that you're looking for? And you can collect information from him, but your client's confidentiality is absolutely paramount. But again, when it comes down to it, usually if someone's got that much of a, of a conflict in there, there is a bigger conflict that at some point needs to be addressed. And it could be, oh, hey, you know what? Some bastard laid off the boss that I loved and was the only reason for working in the company. So I'm going to go quit. Or it could be, sorry, John's laughing because that was a very familiar experience. Um, um, or it could be, no, you know what? I'm just in the middle of a crappy divorce and my ex-wife is making me, my soon-to-be ex-wife is making me absolutely miserable and I haven't been able to contain it. So understanding where that's coming from, because the truth is, if the answer is, you know what? I can show up and do my job, but I think the leadership team are a bunch of dicks and I don't believe in what we're doing. Guess what? He's probably not going to be leadership material. And at the end of the day, it's about the client's agenda, not his boss's. Okay. But Laura, take that scenario. Okay. So you, yes, you, you can, yes the one, the one we know. Me. Yes. And you got your client saying, I don't, you know, is in conflict to the sponsor's, um, objective you, yep. you, you started it by describing hey this guy needs to be a, C, a senior vice president i cannot get buy-in because he's a living asshole to work with mm-hmm. and you find out you know all these other things that make that, that statement true right yep. so at some point the, the client's going to come back to you and say either not the client but the the, the sponsor the, mm-hmm. the sponsor and going to say okay do we do you think we can get him to a level where I can get sponsorship for his next level. At some point you have to expose either an opinion that said, I don't think he's ready or I don't think he or she wants that. I mean, is that something that as a coach, you eventually kind of expose because you've got confidentiality, you got trust, but at some point you got an answer. So, so there are a couple different ways you can approach that. The first one would be, to get your client to tell you what they want and get them to decide to tell their boss themselves. Okay. So, so that you, that's actually the best way to go because part of it too, right? You don't want to be, you don't want to, you don't want them to see you as the go between. Right. Exactly. If, if they're having, if they're having relationship problems and the only way those relationship problems are going to get better is for them to start interacting in a way that's conducive to getting where they need to go. So the first objective would be, look, man, I get that you don't want the job. I get that you feel obligated. You feel beholden. They paid for your MBA. So now you feel like you have to stay But you know what? You are going to have a much better relationship with this guy if you come clean and tell him, you know what? I actually don't want it. Or, and now if you can't get him to do that, if he's sitting on the dime and he's just like, he's not comfortable or he's afraid of it, then at some point you will want to have a conversation with him and saying, look, okay, your, your boss paid for six months of coaching to to get you, you know, over the hump that he sees. Where do you think you are at that, at this point? Like, how do, how do you think, and you know, he's going to come to me and ask a question. What do you, what would you have me say under these circumstances? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to say it. You're really back to trying to find a way to get them to have a conversation. Um, and then the question, then what I would do with the sponsor, if, if you can't get your client to talk and he's, you know, hemming and hawing about what he wants to do, then the question that, that would, um, I would, the approach I would take with the sponsor is, okay, have you seen the progress that you were hoping to see in this yeah. amount of time? What have you seen change? What has improved? You know, does, do you think this is helping? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and again, you can do all of those things and you can get his perspective on it without breaking confidentiality. Um, and so, and worst case scenario, I'd put them on a call together. Okay. So Laura, going back to the beginning of the scenario you just created where, the, 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 um, the sponsor is saying, we really think he's potential, but I can't get buy-in because he doesn't 
you know, no one really likes to work with. Do you have that conversation as a three-way conversation so that they say, your goal is to make, to get to this, to this level where we can elicit corporate sponsorship for your promotion. Does that come out as a common goal at the beginning and then you go coach? Or how do you, how ideally. does the goal from the sponsor get communicated to the Fine. So ideally, and, and again, you don't want to, this, a game of telephone is never good for no, anybody. Right. So ideally, so typically what you would see in that kind of scenario is the sponsor comes in and says, Hey, I've got this high potential person, but they got to get over their shit. Right. Um, and then what I would do is have a first conversation with the sponsor. Okay. What have you had? What conversations have you had with him? What's the behavior saying? What's the feedback? Have you given him this feedback? How did he react to being told okay. that was the perception of him? Have you told him that in order to get this promotion, he needs to do these things? Get as much Good. of that information as you can. And then you have the same version of that conversation with, with the client. What did you hear? Cause it, cause this is also where it's an NLP thing, right? Because if the boss says, Hey, you know what you, your relationships are so strained with these other department heads that I can't get their buy-in to promote you. And when the client said, and when you tell the client, okay, what, tell me about your conversation with your boss. And he says, everybody hates my guts. Okay. Well, guess what? That was not the same thing. That yep. wasn't the same thing. So again, that's this is, this heard, is right, exactly. And this is a great example of where NLP is enormously valuable because yeah. if he takes that message and internalizes it and then twists it into something that's super judgmental or critical or toxic, then you have a good understanding of how he has just handled criticism and feedback. And that has to be part of what you're working through and you're listening to the language he's using. Um, and again, you know, it could sound like his, you know, pissed off alcoholic father coming out of his mouth and have nothing to do with his boss who believes in him, but it's the way he's internalizing stuff. And that's a really, but again, in, in that kind of scenario, you want as much transparency as possible. So if you can get them on a call together, great. But I would do one-on-one -on -one first to start with the sponsor, get his perspective, go back, validate the perspective with the client. Then if you want to say, great, I want to do a call with the three of us now so we can agree goals. We can agree KPIs. Okay. We can agree a timeline. We can agree what you're going to do, whatever it is. And again, at that point, your role becomes to facilitate yeah. and not be the conduit of information because part, again, part of this is them establishing a trusting relationship with each other Right. Again, to make this succession plan logical and reasonable. Yeah. So you shouldn't be caught as a coach in a scenario where, hey, you're the one telling him for the first time he's got yes. issues with his other senior management. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And if you're, if you're trying to get you says if you challenge the sponsor and say, Have you had this conversation? They say no, then you push back on the sponsor. Yep. And say, Okay, let's yep. get let's get this established up front, some ground yes. rules. Yes, your job is not to be anybody's mouthpiece back and right. forth to each other. It's to facilitate the conversation. And in cases like that, it's to make sure that they are both communicating with each other. But it, again, it can be really useful for you to then circle back individually and see yeah. how they interpreted what they heard and see what they reflect back. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I hate to do this, but we're kind of at, at, at time now, but this was awesome, John. I'm so glad you joined. <laughs> well, okay. I do want two things from you though, uh, oh, sure. from Lawrence and from Laura. Uh, mm -hmm. If you could think about which of the NLP books and other materials that you would say, okay, get read up on Gallup or the uh, Hogan or whatever, mm -hmm. just a framework of the knowledge set around this topic would be very, very helpful. So, you know, I don't know that I have anything that's specifically NLP because a lot of one paper though, Laura, Laura, I'm going to write them down though. Okay. Hold okay. On. Well, so let me, let me actually back up a little bit. Okay. And, and instead of just specific NLP, I'd say there are a couple of really, um, really good, um, uh, sources, mm -hmm. um, that I would start with. So the first one is, um, there's a very, very well-known coach named Marshall Goldsmith. Okay. Um, he's got a ton of stuff online. He's kind of made so much money that at this point he gives away a lot of his stuff. He's a big fan of paying it forward. And so he sure. does a lot of, he makes a lot of his content very, very available. Um, and so I would say take a little, and he, and his, his focus is super high level executives. Like that's, that's his niche. So he's got a lot of his lessons are very, very good for that demographic. And his name is Marshall Goldsmith. Goldsmith. Yep. Okay. Um, actually, the the business school at UCLA is named after him. Oh. 
Okay, so yeah, very successful. Yes. Yeah. yes. And again, tons of content online, like his, his content and he's got several books, the book, um, what, what got you here won't get you there, which is one of my favorite business books of all time. He wrote, uh, there are a number of, he has, he's, I don't know, he's like a half a dozen books or something. He's, he's extremely prolific. He's got a lot of stuff. Um, and he is, he absolutely plays in the niche that you're talking about. So I would say there's a lot there. So NLP stuff will come in and out of it, but he's looking at it more from a broader business. And, and he has a really good um, understanding of a lot of the social construct that, okay. that boxes in successful executives um, and some of the ways in which they start feeling like that's trapping them and some yeah. of the behaviors that surface as a result. So it ends up broader than NLP, but there's a lot of, of okay. stuff. That, well, no, no, that would be helpful to right. think it's, so, it is broader than NLP. Yeah, yeah. So Lawrence, what do you have in mind? Um, I'm just thinking about just NLP. Uh, there's a site that I, I search constantly, nlplifetraining.com. Um, and that's from the training side of it. And so just the different topics, whether it's self-help, therapy, education, coaching, performance, mm -hmm. and in corporate environment stuff um, is where I go to, you know, veg out on, on some content and just you know, different. I, and I, I'm a LinkedIn stalker. So I'll <laughs> around and, and search people's profiles and reach out to them just to jump on Zoom calls. Um, and so that's how I, how I glean off of people is get 15, 30 minutes of their time. So well, that's the, the other thing, the other book that I would recommend um, is called Executive Presence uh, okay. by Harrison Monarth. Okay. Um, and uh, that is, again, similar to Marshall Goldsmith. NLP gets worked into it, but again, it's, it's about some of the self-sabotaging that executives do with not, without realizing it and how, you know, what is executive presence in the modern business world and what does that mean? Um, yeah. And it's, it's more than just, you know, making sure you, you're dressed appropriately. It's, you know, do you stay calm under pressure? Yeah. Do you yeah. avoid like having emotional outbursts? I mean, like all kinds of things that in the past were beyond the scope of what we would have always necessarily defined as executive presence, but that in a social media, very transparent, you know, flat organization kind of world um, matter a lot more. That's a really, that's a really good book. The other thing I would, I would say is that from an executive perspective, there's an organization called WBEX. Um, yeah. which WBEX, W-B-E-C-S dot com, yeah. I believe. Right. And so um, I'm a member there as well. Um, and they, their focus is on, you know, uh, strengthening the coaching community. It's a, it's a community of coaches, but they're coaches who specifically focus in the business sector, as opposed to coaches who focus in life or, you know, right. other health or other things. Yeah. So um, they have a ton of resources there as well. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff that you can find right. in, in and all that. Well, I've taken enough time here with my questions, Laura. I didn't mean to consume your your session here. No, this is awesome. Hey, we would do this more often if we had. If we normally, exactly. Lawrence and I don't have anybody join us in real time. We we usually get get feedback about podcasting later. So this okay. is awesome. Well, I, I've I've seen the podcast as well, and uh, so I just wanted to join because you you offered it out there. So yeah. I thought to join. Absolutely, no, that's awesome. awesome. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, then we're going to wrap this week's episode of Grow or Die. Thank you to John Amon for joining us today. All right. Thanks, John. Lawrence and Laura, and I'll be in touch with you guys. Absolutely. Thank you. Good luck with your training, John. All right. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.